0: Brothers and sisters, welcome to the Christian Fishers of Men Book of Mormon series. We are on episode 3, which is 1st Nephi chapter 3. We're going to go ahead and dive in. We're going to discover the mysteries of the kingdom, the mysteries of God together. Diving into his word. Um, as you... As you guys are listening to this, if you can bust out your scriptures, whether they be electronic or whether they be uh, paper, the good old fashioned sticks are often very fun to bust out. And you like it's just fun to get into that old mindset again. Brings me back to the missionary days of studying and stuff. But I am quickly. Um, turning my heart towards the digitized version because of the amount of information, the amount of notes that I can put into one chapter is, it's almost infinite. Like, it's really cool. I have all sorts of things that I've put into this chapter here using my, uh, my laptop, my computer, Uh, My phone. I've been able to kind of add stuff. I look over, read stuff throughout the week. And I'm putting it all together now. So hopefully it all makes sense. Let's go ahead. Turn to chapter 3 and let's dive in. Okay, 1st Nephi chapter 3. And it came to pass that I, Nephi, returned from speaking with the Lord to the tent of my father. So... Brothers and sisters, a common theme. I've I've touched on it before, but I'm going to touch on it again here. If you want to really dig into your scriptures, look at it with get the get the get the monocle on here. Get yourself a magnifying glass or a monocle and, and put it on metaphorically here. If we um if we do that We can look below the scripture dirt here. Like The surface is great. It grows some very nutritious spiritual food for us. But if we look below the dirt and we we start to dig a little bit, we'll get some really cool stuff. Um, Your your Old and New Testament will be incredibly important in understanding a lot of the stuff that, that you can discover in the Book of Mormon they they really do a great job of hi hazy what you doing hazy get out of there worst timing ever get out of here she saw a bug she saw a bug <laughs> my daughter saw a bug sorry <laughs> <laughs> and she freaked out all right so If you, if you utilize the Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament, you will understand your Book of Mormon better, and vice versa. It's made to be that way. One book is not more important than the other, brothers and sisters. And so, looking at that, understanding that, we can go to the very first verse here that we have, and we can say, okay, now why would it, why would he, they put a footnote there on speaking right so if you click on that footnote or if you look at that footnote and go down to the bottom of your of your paper here your paper sticks your paper Book of Mormon okay your book it has one a speaking okay and then you have first Nephi two sixteen, right and basically it opens up the wrong one when I do it on the computer Okay, First Nephi sixteen, it brings us back to our previous uh, podcast, First Nephi chapter two, verse sixteen, where it talks about Nephi and his um, kind of his mindset, kind of his his motivation, right? And it came to pass that I, Nephi, being exceedingly young, nevertheless being large in stature, and also having great desires to know of the mysteries of God. Wherefore, I did cry unto the Lord. And behold, he did visit me, and did soften my heart, that I did believe all the words which had been spoken by my father. Wherefore, I did not rebel against him like unto my brothers. Okay? So, there's a... There's a theme here, right? There is a mindset, and we're getting an idea translated to us, okay? Now, let's go back to the original language, which was Hebrew, right? Now, whenever you're translating something from one language into another, especially from an ancient language, if you were to transliterate something, which is a word-for-word translation... You're not going to get the full idea a lot of times because there are words that they will have that we do not have. Language is basically portraying ideas that we have in our mind, right? It's an idea. It's a a thought process of our brains that is coming out in a way that we can explain it to somebody else. And when we all have the same language, it works great um when we have ancient languages sometimes it's it's different and so understanding that that we need to we need to look at the hebrew and say what idea is being presented here right what's the idea here because things are going to get lost in translation that doesn't mean that it's it's uninspired that doesn't mean that it's it's not good that the translators were bad people right It just means that you lose things from one language to another. It's just how it works. So, when he says he returned from speaking with the Lord, we can look at that phrase in English and we can say, is that phrase in English appearing anywhere else in the canon of Scripture that we have? And indeed it does. We can go back to many places. If you have your your digital Scriptures out, you can actually search you can, you can even go, heck, you can go on Google and you can search for that phrase, and it will bring you a list of where that appears in the King James Version of the Bible. It is really cool because then you can go and you can look at that phrase, right? And we can get a pretty awesome parallel into understanding the Hebrew behind the English this is how we should approach at least one aspect of the Book of Mormon, knowing that it was written in Hebrew, using Reformed Egyptian. You know what I mean? It's it's just one of those things, using the characters of Reformed Egyptian, but the language was Hebrew. So, understanding that, we can go to Hebrew and we can say, okay, there's two words, two words in Hebrew that they would use in talking about uh, speaking like like a, a a prayer type of of speech with deity, okay, with Elohim or Jehovah or whatever, okay. the the, the first word is tefillah. okay. This is a more commonly associated with, with formal prayer, while tekinah, and I'm probably slaughtering the pronunciations, can be more of a plea or supplication, okay. Now following the footnote with speaking with the Lord, that footnote A, we can go and we can see that, we can deduce which one we're looking at here, right? So, Tekkenah is the one that's that Nephi is, is best suited to be able to use. Like, if he were to write this down... That's probably the word that he would have used when it was originally put down and engraven on his his plates, right? So, it's cool because it refers to a specific type of prayer or request that is made with a sense of humility and intense pleading, often seeking God's favor, mercy, or help. Okay? So, the primary meaning of Tekkenah is not "Quote unquote prayer" in a general sense, but rather a type of prayer characterized by earnest and heartfelt entreaty. Okay, that adds a whole different level to Nephi just casually writing down here in in English for us. I can go speak to my my wife outside. I can go speak to my friend. I can go. Uh, You know, I, I can go speak to anybody on the street, right? We kind of lose a little bit in English here. But when we go back to the Hebrew, it's telling a much more detailed story. And we get a much better window into the mind of Nephi and into what is happening here. This isn't just him having a regular old prayer, right? He's not approaching... Jehovah in in just a regular prayer he is working hard his spirit is working hard he's emotionally working hard in this speech that he's having this this supplication this plea that he's having with Jehovah okay it is intense prayer intense prayer that he has had with Jehovah, and because of that, okay, because of that, he is given some things. The Lord loves effort, according to President Nelson, right? Nephi is putting in the effort, and it's understanding the Hebrew root of of what Nephi is using here, when Joseph Smith was able to translate that word into English, where our best word is speaking, okay, the idea there if you dig deeper will give you a better understanding into what nephi where he is at mentally okay and then we start to get a better picture as to what is happening and what we can do to benefit okay just i know i'm, t- I'm taking forever to get started here but i think it's important that we illustrate that point If we can dig into this stuff, we we really do understand so much more into the mind of these people. And they will come alive. And their purposes, the idea that they put down on their plates, will will be presented to us and our minds. And when you add the spirit to that mix, you will understand what they were trying to tell us. And the language barrier will be eroded away. And you will get a pure amazing translation of the translation that we get, if that makes any sense, okay? The spirit will add a whole lot when we put effort into learning this stuff, brothers and sisters, okay? So moving on, verse two. And it came to pass that he spake unto me, saying, Behold, I have dreamed a dream. Okay, this is Lehi talking to Nephi now. That that's the he that he's saying. So, Lehi says, Behold, I have dreamed a dream, okay? in the which the Lord hath commanded me that thou and thy brethren shall return to Jerusalem. Okay, So, again, you can use Google, you can uh, just open up your, your scriptures and, and digitally do a search for that phrase, I have dreamed a dream, okay, dreamed a dream. That's a very unusual thing to say in English, okay? If I were to have a dream, even if it was a significant dream, I would say, I had a dream. I had a dream, okay? The past tense, I had a dream. Or I could even, if I felt that it was a significant dream, I could say, I had a vision, okay? Very interesting here that uh, Joseph Smith happens to get this right, okay? And it came to pass that he spake unto me, saying, "Behold, I have dreamed a dream." That's a Hebrew phrase. Okay, the Hebrew is is pouring forth out of the original tongue, and even dripping into English. We we have this this remnant of Hebrew here because that's a weird way to phrase something in English. And whenever you see that if you train your eye to look for these phrases and these these weird little things, they'll start to pop out. And then you can go do a search in the Bible, and you can look at that, and then you can discover what the Hebrew verse actually was. And you can look at those words, right? So if we do that, it's just, you know, this one one is fun just because we discovered that this was a very uh, common phrase in Hebrew. And many a prophet said this phrase, and in Hebrew it, it's it's uh, shalam shalam, okay? Or kalam kalam, however you say it. It was very, very straightforward, okay? Just totally illustrating that he had a vision, that this was more than a dream, right? This was, he dreamed a dream, okay? He had a vision. And in this dream, okay, the Lord commanded him that he should send his sons, Back to Jerusalem. Okay. Now, remember, Lehi is a prophet. Now, what Lehi just did was he relayed the word of the Lord. This was not Lehi's idea. Okay. Lehi, it was simply relaying the word of the Lord. He is the mouthpiece. Okay. And what he just instructed his sons to do was to go back. Okay. Now, just to put some just just to give us an idea, to put some perspective on what Lehi is asking his sons to do, we go to the Book of Mormon student manual, okay, and it tells us that the distance from Jerusalem to the Red Sea is approximately 180 miles through hot, barren country, infested anciently by many marauders. Lehi and his family traveled three days beyond this point. This meant... At least a twelve to fourteen day trip one way, from Jerusalem, to their temporary home in the Valley of Lemuel. Okay, like I say, when we dig into this stuff. Okay, that might that would put Alan in a bad mood too if he if if his dad told him that. Oh, by the way, I need you guys to go risk your necks all over again this time without me. You know, without the benefit of having me around and stuff, you guys are going to have to go and depend on the Lord now. You guys are going to have to go and depend on the Lord through 180 miles plus uh, a a two-week journey going back from where we just came from, right? You're going to go back through (laughs) marauder-infested, you know, barren places, In order to go back to Jerusalem, to where we just left, okay? That would put anybody in a bad mood. So now we have an idea we got more understanding as to what's happening here. The plot thickens, so to speak, right? Okay, so (laughs) just you know, I I know that Laman and Lemuel can be butts sometimes, but understand that if you do not have the the eternal perspective in mind, I think that, that would put anybody in a bad mood, right? So, verse 3. For behold, Laban hath the record of the Jews, and also a genealogy of my forefathers, and they are engraven upon the plates of brass. Okay? Now, why... Is it so important like why is this why is this verse so important? Why is Lehi making such a big deal about this where he's like look Laban who happens to be a relative of Lehi he would have had to be distant you know of course but these guys were of the same tribe. For behold, Laban hath the record of the Jews. He has the record of the Jews, and also the genealogy of my forefathers. Okay, And they were engraven upon the plates of brass. So, understand, this is something that I think that we have lost a lot of in our Western mindset. That, if you go back to um, the Northmen... Right, the uh, what we would call the Viking people, The, the 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 Scandinavian people, they took great pride in being able to recite their ancestry, going back generations and generations. They knew who they were. Right. Most peoples were like that. They knew who they were, and there was a sense of pride that everybody had in knowing where they came from, right? Genealogy, and it's, it's starting to make a comeback, right? Now, it's really cool because I find out that, you know, with my name and stuff like that, I find out that I'm, I'm, I have a German last name. Uh, my mother had an Irish last name before she married my father, right? Her maiden name was very Irish. And going back... And looking at at my my people and where I come from, I see that my wife has an extremely German last name, and it's just funny how it all worked out. Like my kids are extraordinarily uh, German and European and stuff. Like, of course, we're all we're a mixture of of British Isles and you know Western Central European and stuff like that. But it's just really cool to see how everything comes together. And when you do that, you start to look through history and you, you get this sense of pride. And it's, it's, it's weird. It just happens. You get a sense of pride of where you come from and your people. And there's this, this joy that comes with that discovery. Now, especially with the Israelites, especially with the Israelites, with the Jews, with all of these different tribes, okay, this meant something to them. It meant more than just having a pride in where you came from this was their identity their historical and ancestral identity okay this was a way for them to trace their lineage back to their ancestors um in, in particular that the patriarchs like abraham isaac jacob right going to the 12 tribes like this meant something to them and this gives them their unique uh promises their their unique blessings that were that were gifted to them through the patriarchal order and patriarchal blessings of of those those uh, uh, patriarchs, those those prophets, those extremely important uh, people in the Bible. Right. So, not only that, but it would give you an understanding of your inheritance of your land rights, especially with the Israelites. Okay, this was this was a very significant part of Scripture in the Old Testament, telling them that if you belong to this tribe, this is what you get, right? Very, very crucial for these guys to be able to, to understand where they belonged in the Promised Land, right? Knowing where their ancestral place of belonging was in the Promised Land. Um, if you were of the tribe of Levi, of course, you would have had that Aaronic priesthood, that, that priestly lineage. And that would be incredibly important to be able to know. And just as a side note, the third temple, um, at some point, will be rebuilt. The Jews, right now, with all the stuff going on, if you've been following this, I'm very anxious to see what happens next. Very anxious to see what happens next, because the Jews have for a long time been searching out for people that can prove their lineage, and one of those last names that they look for is Cohen, okay It's a very Hebrew word, but they, they look for these people with the last name of Cohen, and if you can if you can show your lineage that it goes back to the tribe of Levi, if you can prove that, then you are. They are very interested in you. Okay, <laughs> they're very interested in getting you over there, and they have gotten many of those those people of the proven lineage of Levi back to the to Jerusalem, and they are training them. Okay, they're training them in the priestly rituals and rites that take place in the temple. They don't have a temple yet. They are preparing to receive and to build another temple. Okay, interesting stuff. And I'm getting off on a tangent here, but I just want to really play, put some emphasis on here as to why this is so important to Lehi. Okay, there's stuff that goes along with this. There are obviously covenants. There's promises, uh, moral and ethical guidance. You know what I'm saying? There was stuff, very, very specific advice, very very specific covenants made with each one of the 12 tribes of Israel, okay? That wasn't just given to that son individually, that was given to that tribe for generations, you know, pretty much everlasting. Okay? Also, there would be an understanding of of prophecy and messianic expectation, okay? It was very, very important for them to know the prophecies and what was expected of their tribe. Because a lot of those prophecies in the Torah, okay, what they would have had in in their brass plates, these, these prophecies, these Hebrew prophecies, were linked to the genealogy of the Messiah, okay? what what the bible calls the the shoot you know from the house of david and obviously that played a a huge significant role in the hope of of the future of the messianic figure okay very very cool stuff when we understand this um again these, these verses, we're on, on verse 3, and it's just rich with information that if we just dig for it, if we just put forth a little effort, we can get an incredible understanding into the motivation and the mind of these ancient people. Okay, Verse 4, Wherefore the Lord hath commanded me that thou and thy brothers should go unto the house of Laban and seek the records, and bring them down hither into the wilderness. And now behold, thy brothers murmur, saying, It is a hard thing which I have required of them. But behold, I have not required it of them, but it is a commandment of the Lord. Okay. I put in my notes here, again with the murmuring, dot, dot, dot. (laughs) Okay. I'm going to quote what I had already quoted about murmuring really quick. I've already covered it, but just to bring it back to our mind here, I invite you to focus on the commandments from living prophets, that bothers you the most? Do you question whether the commandment is applicable to you? Do you find ready excuses why you cannot now comply with the commandment? Do you feel frustrated or irritated with those who remind you of the commandment? Are you slothful in keeping it? Beware of the deception of the adversary. Beware of murmuring. Elder H. Ross Workman of the Seventy. Conference report, October 2001. Okay? Keep that in mind. Keep that in mind. So, the principle that we are learning, that we are to understand here, okay, I think this principle is going to come into play very, very soon. I think it's already in in play right now, hardcore. It has been to some extent, always. Um in this dispensation of the fullness of times, ever since Joseph Smith received the first vision, and ever since he kind of stepped into that prophetic role, into those shoes, right? I think that ever since then, that principle has been in place, and the wheat and the tares play heavily, heavily into this. Verse five, okay. That the murmuring, and not not getting it, not getting it, okay. The role of the prophet, just not understanding it. Understanding that when the prophet is telling us something, when Lehi is communicating the will of the Lord, his his brothers Laman and Lemuel are saying, "Oh, Dad, he's having us go back 180 miles plus." You know what I'm saying? It's not, and it wasn't Lehi. That was not Lehi's idea, nor was it his wish. He was speaking the will of Jehovah. That this was Jehovah's will, not his. Okay, And they couldn't even understand that. Very important to keep that in mind as we go forward in time. This will play heavily into our very near future. I promise you that. Okay. Verse 6, Therefore go now, my son. Therefore go, my son, and thou shalt be favored of the Lord, because thou hast not murmured. And it came to pass that I, Nephi, this is the Scripture Mastery verse, okay, verse 7, And it came to pass that I, Nephi, said unto my father, I will go and do the things which the Lord hath commanded. For I know that the Lord giveth no commandments unto the children of men, save he shall prepare a way for them, that they may accomplish the thing which he commandeth them. Okay. Now, this is obviously a huge principle. They hit this one all the time. Okay, uh, President Nelson, who was then Elder Nelson in 1984, there's a quote here I have for him. It says, I have learned not to put question marks, but to use exclamation points when calls are issued through inspired channels of priesthood government. Elder Donald L. Staley of the Seventy quoted President Ezra Taft Benson in order to teach about the power that comes through obedience. The quote here is, Regardless of our age and stage in life, daily obedience to gospel principles is the only sure way to eternal happiness. President Ezra Taft Benson put it most poignantly when he said, When obedience ceases to be an irritant and becomes our quest... In that moment, God will endow us with power. Okay, let's do one more quote here. President Henry B. Eyring of the First Presidency acknowledged the need for prayer and faith to obey the Lord's commandments. Uh, Starting the quote, Whoever we are, however difficult our circumstances we can know that what our Father commands we do to qualify for the blessings of eternal life will not be beyond us. We may have to pray with faith to know what we are to do, and we must pray with a determination to obey. But we can know what to do and be sure that the way has been prepared for us by the Lord. Okay? Big time that a lot of people don't like this. A lot of people don't like this. Okay, this has never changed, brothers and sisters. This isn't, it's never changed. Okay, this is how it is. This is life in the kingdom. This is life in the kingdom of God. This is just how it is. We have a prophet and he relays the information to us. Okay. And if that is an irritant, if that is a problem for you, then you need to bring yourself into alignment. You need to pray, and you need to seek the Lord hardcore to bring yourself into alignment. As I said, going forward, I promise you this is going to take a very, very hardcore front row seat into determining if you are a wheat or a tear. I promise you that's going to happen. Okay? It's almost scary. <laughs> Okay. Verse 8. And it came to pass that when my father had heard these words he was exceedingly glad for he knew that I had been blessed of the Lord. Now in your scriptures write to the side of that why is this such a blessing. Okay, verse 8. Why is this such a blessing? Transmission of God's messages. Okay, when we, look, when we look at the book of Jeremiah, okay, it, it, it contains a bunch of instances where Jeremiah will convey the message of God to the people of Judah. The entire book of Jeremiah is basically one big emphasis on the importance of listening to, to the word of the prophet, of God's words through his prophet that's the whole point of the book of jeremiah i would argue that is probably the biggest point into the book of first nephi that's one of the main points of the the book of first nephi lehi and jeremiah were contemporaries okay they are mirroring each other in this instance they are mirroring the, each other in in what they are putting an emphasis on Okay, we we see what happens in Jeremiah's account when we don't listen <coughs> to the word of the prophet. Uh, another blessing. Another blessing. We get the interpretation of the law. Okay, so if you go to the book of Deuteronomy in the Old Testament, uh, verses or excuse me, chapters seventeen and eighteen. Okay they will put hardcore hardcore emphasis on basically the authority of the prophets and their role in interpreting and upholding the law. Okay, I'm not going to read it right now. You should check it out. Okay, there there's there's a lot of other books as well that kind of provide interpretations on the law, especially with the law of Moses and stuff like that, but I would argue that even though we are not practicing the law of Moses, the need for interpretation, the need for a prophet, a mouthpiece to be able to lead and guide us, and to convey what the Lord would have us know and understand, especially when it comes to Scripture, there's, it's, that import has never gone away. That in import was never ever ever taken away just because the law of Moses was fulfilled in Christ okay that's the whole point of the apostles that's the whole point of of Peter being the chiefest apostle okay correction and repentance that comes from uh, hardcore from prophets okay hardcore look look again at the book of Jeremiah, okay. It also, and this is something that I think that you should pay close attention to, brothers and sisters, receiving guidance in times of crisis. Okay, the, uh, if we look at the book of Isaiah, along with some other books, but Isaiah especially, it contains prophecies related to the Assyrian and Babylonian invasions And offers guidance on how to respond in those difficult times. Now, I'm excited because I have never dived into the book of Isaiah. But as we go through the book of Mormon, I'm going to get a chance and an excuse to to go head first and just jump into the deep end. I know, I've looked at it a lot, I've looked at it a lot over the years, but I know that a lot of the stuff that Isaiah... Told us about were types and shadows as to what's going to happen to us in the last days. Okay, and if we can apply that to ourselves, we will have guidance in times of crisis, not only from from the good book, but from our adherence to what our prophet is telling us as well. That's a huge blessing to have. Okay, um, having accountability right the prophet holds us accountable that kind of goes along with <laughs> with the correction repentance okay the prophet helps us to hold ourselves accountable which is absolutely necessary for a people who are striving to live up to the expectations and commandments that the lord has set forth to us right um also for fulfillment of god's purposes Okay. Obedience is connected to that, to fulfillment of God's purposes. Either obedience or disobedience, I should say, is connected directly to fulfillment of God's purposes. Also the preservation of the covenant, okay? Obedience Obedience to the covenant it really does emphasize the importance of obedience itself as a condition for the people's continued possession of the promised land and their relationship with God brothers and sisters this is something we are in danger of losing this is something we are in danger of losing this is going to become a theme as we as we continue reading the book of mormon together okay This applies to us. This applies to us. Okay. In preparation for the Messiah is my last little bullet point here. Okay. Messianic prophecies like we find in Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 and Isaiah chapter 9 verses 6 through 7. They speak of the coming of a future Messiah and the messages of the prophets are often connected to those expectations. Okay. Preparation for the Messiah. That is why it's such a blessing. That is why it's such a blessing. When we adopt the attitude of Nephi, you can see why his dad was so exceedingly glad. He wasn't just happy. He wasn't just be like, Ah, I'm cool. Okay, I got a good kid. He was exceedingly glad. I can't imagine the pride he must have felt in his son. That's something that I hope that my, my... children my sons especially i hope they adopt this attitude okay because knowing what what we just talked about here why is it s- such a blessing to have that connection and that attitude you get these these blessings these bullet points i'll read them off real quick i'm not going to explain I'll, again i'll just read them off transmission of god's messages interpretation of the law correction and repentance guidance in times of crisis accountability fulfillment of god's purposes preservation of the covenant, and preparation for the Messiah. I'll take that. Yes, please, may I have some more. Please, sir, may I have some more. Okay? Absolutely. Verse 9. And I, Nephi, and my brethren, took our journey in the wilderness with our tents to go up to the land of Jerusalem. Okay? They depart on a perilous journey. Don't sleep on that. Don't sleep on that. This This journey will play into their attitudes as they reach Jerusalem because they've just gone through a stressful situation again, okay? Verse 10, and it came to pass that when we had gone up to the land of Jerusalem, I and my brethren did consult one with another, okay? They had like a a little council together, a brother council. And we cast lots, who of us should go in unto the house of Laban. And it came to pass that the lot fell upon Laman, and Laman went in unto the house of Laban, and he talked with him as he sat in the house. Now this, I just can't get over how Hebrew this, this is so far. We're in chapter 3, and there is, the Hebrew is just dripping through the pages, brothers and sisters. It's coming through. The portal from the original tongue, okay? This is a Hebrew thing, okay? In, in in ancient Hebrew... Now, again, how do I figure this stuff out? I say, okay, casting lots. And I look for it in the Bible. And then I study it in the Bible as well as as in the original Hebrew. I look at those words, okay? What does it mean? Like, what... And then you you can get all this other backstory behind it. It will help you understand as to what's going on. Now, you could just read past this. Like, oh, okay, to cast lots, cool. Don't read like that anymore. Get your shovel out. Get your metaphorical, spiritual shovel out and start digging beneath the, the dirt. And you'll hit some serious pay dirt. Some scriptural pay dirt. Okay? The ancient Hebrew term for casting lots is goral. The practice of casting lots using objects like dice or stones was employed in various biblical contexts to make decisions, determine outcomes, or seek divine guidance. That was an interesting last one, wasn't it? The term geral can refer to the act of casting lots itself or to the lots used for this purpose. The casting of lots was seen as a way to leave important decisions to chance or in some cases, to seek the will of God by believing that the outcome was divinely guided. Very interesting. Okay, go look at that casting lots. Look at that phrase and look for it in the Bible. You'll see some really cool stuff. Okay, uh, Jonah. Just off the top of my head, that's what I when I read that I think of Jonah because they they basically cast lots to see. Who was the guy that needed to be cast overboard? And it happened to fall on Jonah, okay? Seems like there was was a little bit of meat to this understanding of casting lots. Because God said, yep, Jonah. He's the one that's got the problem. And then Jonah came clean and said, yeah, you guys need to toss me overboard into the ocean. Into the shark-infested waters. (laughs) Okay. That gives me the willies. Anyway, okay. So... Uh, Laban, or, Laman goes in, into the house of Laban, and he talked with him as he sat in his house, okay? And he desired of Laban the records which were engraven upon the plates of brass, which contained the genealogy of my father, okay? He hits it a second time in this chapter. There's importance, there's emphasis being put on the genealogy of Lehi, Okay? Just reinforcing that. Go back to what we just talked about, about the importance of your genealogy, especially to an Israelite. Brothers and sisters, are you an Israelite? Yes, you are. Okay? Yes, you are. Whether through adoption or blood, doesn't matter. You are an Israelite. Okay? Understand the importance of your tribe. Understand what has been laid out before you. For your people, your tribe. Okay. Verse 13, And behold, it came to pass that Laban was angry, and he thrust him out from his presence, and he would not that he should have the records. Wherefore he said unto him, Behold, thou art a robber, and I will slay thee. Uh, verse 14, But Laman, f- Laman fled out from his presence, and told the things which Laban had done unto us, and we began to be exceedingly sorrowful. And my brethren were about to return unto my father in the wilderness, okay now, at this point, these guys are facing an insurmountable challenge. There is no way there's nothing they can do that's going to change this okay they have one ace up their sleeve, one one hail Mary that's it. there really is nothing that they can do to get these plates. As we'll we'll uh, look into Laban a little bit deeper into understanding a little clue that the uh, that First Nephi chapter three gives us about Laban, his importance, who he was. Okay, there's nothing that they could do to get the plates. Nothing. This was purely something that God had given them a commandment to do. It is akin to God commanding us to be perfect. Okay? Just think of it that way. Because he has, right? He said, be be therefore perfect, even as I as, or your Father in heaven is perfect. So, think of it that way. There's nothing these guys can do of their own power. They have one Hail Mary that they're about to try, but after that, there's nothing they can do, okay? Verse 15. But behold, I said unto them, that as the Lord liveth, and as we live... We will not go down unto our Father in the wilderness until we have accomplished the thing which the Lord hath commanded us. Wherefore, let us be faithful in keeping the commandments of the Lord. Therefore, let us go down to the land of our Father's inheritance. For behold, he left gold and silver and all manner of riches, and all this he hath done because of the commandment of the Lord. Now, this is the the ace in the sleeve. This is the Hail Mary Pass. This also shows as to where Nephi's heart is. Doesn't care about gold, doesn't care about silver, doesn't care about earthly possessions. He cares about accomplishing the will and the commandment of the Lord, of Jehovah. We need to get this done. We're going to do whatever it takes. Everything in our power. We're going to exhaust all of our options, even down uh, unto selling Everything okay, selling everything that they stood at one chance to inherit, gonna sell it all. Okay, here's the Hail Mary pass verse 17 for he knew that Jerusalem must be destroyed because of the wickedness of the people. There's that belief, there's that belief into what his, his father, who happens to be the prophet, has, has prophesied. Okay, thus saith the Lord. Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. Uh, Verse 18. For behold, they have rejected the words of the prophets. Wherefore, if my father should dwell in the land, after he hath been commanded to flee out of the land, behold, he would also perish. Wherefore, it must needs be that he flee out of the land. Okay? This chapter, again... This is very similar to Jeremiah, but this chapter especially puts emphasis on on those two polar examples of following the Lord and not following the Lord. Okay, It's consistently showing the difference between those two polar opposite examples of following and not following the Lord. And what stands in there uh, as a, an important piece of this recipe of following the Lord is the prophet, okay? I know people get annoyed when I put emphasis on this. People don't like it. They don't like to hear it. Um, as, soon as, uh, as soon as we got past probably 2006, 7, 8, okay? This really became a problem for people. And then 2019 rolls around and we get a lot of people leaving the church, okay? Because of this principle. This principle that has never changed from the time of Adam himself. Okay. Uh, let's see. For behold, it is wisdom in God that we should obtain these records. Sorry, verse 19. For be, And behold, it is wisdom in God that we should obtain these records, that we may preserve unto our children the language of our fathers. Okay. Okay, here we go. Here we go. We're getting some more insight. We understand the the importance of the genealogy, we've covered that, okay, exhaustively so. Now we're getting a little probably a throwaway comment that Nephi didn't even think of that gives us a, a little understanding, okay? Nephi saying we need to preserve unto our kids the language of our fathers. Why would you need to do that, brothers and sisters? Why? interesting thought experiment why is it important for for nephi to preserve the language of their fathers i've heard probably one of the most just off the top of my head i just i just had this thought what if we were to stop teaching cursive like the like that's happening And eventually people aren't able to read the Constitution of the United States. A document put forth by our forefathers. What if in 500 years our language has changed so much and we have stopped studying the document? Would we have any real understanding? Would we lose our understanding about the Constitution of the United States because it was written in cursive? It's even in the same language, but language changes. The English has changed a whole heck of a lot in that amount of time, and would be in that amount of time. It would change. Words would have different meanings. When you study the Book of Mormon, uh, coincidentally, when you see a word in there that you want to look up, look it up in the 1800s dictionary instead of a modern one. Just a little piece of advice there for when you're studying the Book of Mormon. You, Language matters. Language matters a lot. Especially when we're talking about the brass plates and the Hebrew writings of Isaiah, uh, Jeremiah, right? Going back to, to Adam. The children, the Nephites, the Lamanites, okay? The children of Lehi need to be able to understand this stuff. It's extraordinarily important. It's important for us. Okay? Very important for us. And to, not to go in, into this too deeply, but when we look at taking translation of the Bible, King James translations, okay, King James uh, English is like, it has become our uh, religious text, our religious way of approaching God, which is a very human, very ancient, uh, very common human condition. You don't approach God with everyday slang. You don't, uh, for instance, call God dude, right? (laughs) You know what I'm saying? When you speak, when you pray to your Father in Heaven, out of respect, we will adopt a language that we do not speak all the time. As a matter of fact, I would say that aside from reading Scripture, I never speak this way, ever. I can't think of any time I've ever spoken in King James English other than when I'm approaching my Father in Heaven okay we word, use words like thou thee thy right we speak in this religious context and use this religious king james english instead of our everyday english that's why the book of mormon was translated the way it was it's religious text it's religious language okay and as such it takes some understanding for us coming oh, how long's it been since William Tyndale did his translation, 15, oh, what was it, 15-something, 1500s? So, for us, it's been 500-and-something years. Do you see what I'm saying here? Like, it's important for us to understand King James English, okay? It's important for the seat of Lehi to understand the Hebrew and be able to read it, be able to understand it, okay? All right, I've... I've beat that dead horse a lot. Okay, moving on to verse 20. And also that we may preserve unto them the words which have been spoken by the mouth of all the holy prophets which have been delivered unto them by the Spirit and power of God since the world began, even down until this present time. So, off to that, brothers and sisters, off to the side of that, I wrote a question, what happens when it's taken away? What happens when that is taken away? priorities change a whole lot i think when we think in terms of of what's really important okay everything else really doesn't matter like like when you're thinking celestial like president nelson has commanded us to do the words of the prophets like you can see why when the pilgrims when the um pioneers when everybody made a big old exodus to escape something like religious persecution, uh, seeking for a, a a better way to worship God closer closer more closely related to what we would read in the Bible, right? You see why they took such great pains to take the Bible with them. And the Book of Mormon will illustrate this, right? They had the record of the Jews, and our uh, European th- those of us who are of European descent, when when our European ancestors came over to America, they clung to their Bible. It was of incredible importance to them because they understood things inside of there. And uh, I could, I maybe I'll do a podcast on this at some point, but a lot of the uh the american indians that they ran into they recognized them as israelites they said these are lost tribes of israel there were things and customs that they that they saw and even even hearing the word yahweh in their religious dances and ceremonies and stuff like that incredible stuff they understood and they they wanted to create a new Jerusalem here and unite with the American Indian population because they recognized them. They wanted to... It's it's interesting, and I'm not going to go too far into this, but just a taste here. Okay? They showed up, and they started to... Uh, they started to give them bible stories they started to talk the and the indians could finish the stories for them they understood they knew who they were they 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 had an understanding and even in some cases and i have records of this this isn't just me but there's records of people being able to speak of uh, of a form of hebrew of chiefs and stuff. Being able to speak a form of Hebrew. Super cool stuff. Like super cool stuff. But anyway. Anyway. We see that this is so important. Like chapter 3 is, is almost clobbering us over the head. They're saying, guys, look how important it is to have the words of God. Look at how important it is to have the words of the prophets. It just... It hammers it again and again and again, okay. Verse twenty one. And it came to pass that after this manner of language did I persuade my brethren that they might be faithful in keeping the commandments of God. And it came to pass that we went down to the land of our inheritance, and we did gather together our gold and our silver and our precious things. Just side note, imagine what's going through Laman and Lemuel's minds right now. This is their inheritance. They stood to, to gain the most, okay? And after we had gathered these things together, we went up again unto the house of Laban. Now, this is the this is the crossing of the Rubicon for Laman and Lemuel. This is the crossing of the Rubicon. Because after this, there's no going back. There's nothing to go back to. Even if they were to go back to Jerusalem, which they are tempted to do, they have no inheritance. There's nothing there for them. They would have to start from scratch. Okay? It gives you a little bit of insight into their frustration. Verse 24, And it came to pass that we went in unto Laban, and desired him that uh, he would give unto us the records which were engraven engraven upon the plates of brass, for which we would give unto him our gold, and our silver, and all our precious things. And it came to pass that when Laban saw our property, and that it was exceedingly great, he did lust after it, insomuch that he thrust us out, and sent his servants to slay us, that he might obtain our property. Okay we see what kind of guy old Laban is he was somebody if he's got the plates he's somebody who's already important okay that, that, that's a clue the fact that the fact that he is has the power to deny them or grant them their request means that he was somebody right guy okay. verse 26. Well, and just as, as a side note, as a side note, before we continue, understand that the law of Moses was, I forgot to cover this earlier, but the law of Moses was written down in the brass plates. They needed to practice the law of Moses. This, this was their Torah, okay? They needed to practice the law of Moses until the Messiah came. They had to be able to do that, to practice their religion, and they needed that to be able to do so. And it came to pass that when we did flee before the servants of Laban, and we were obliged to leave behind our property, and it fell into the hands of Laban. And it came to pass that we fled into the wilderness, and the servants of Laban did not overtake us, and we hid ourselves in the cavity of a rock. And it came to pass that Laman was angry with me, and also with my father, and also was Lemuel. For he hearkened unto the words of Laman, Wherefore, Laman and Lemuel did speak many hard words unto us, their younger brothers, and they did smite us even with a rod. So now we see that Laman and Lemuel have come to a boiling point. Because, like I say, this is the crossing of the Rubicon as far as having any type of future with an inheritance or earthly, uh, earthly possession to be able to make your life comfortable in Jerusalem. It's gone. It's just been wiped out. It's been stolen. okay. And Laban was probably the guy that you would go to if you had an issue with someone stealing your stuff. <laughs> I don't know. You know what I mean? But, but it's extraordinarily possible. Uh, verse 29, And it came to pass, As they smote us with a rod, behold, an angel of the Lord came and stood before them. And he spake unto them, saying, Why do ye smite your younger brother with a rod? Know ye not that the Lord hath chosen him to be a ruler over you? And this, because of your iniquities? They're getting called out. Uh, Behold, ye shall go up to Jerusalem again, and the Lord will deliver Laban into your hands. Okay, real quick. Whenever I read this before, I thought, that's kind of a weird thing to say. Know ye not that the Lord has chosen him to be a ruler over you. I don't want anybody to be a ruler over me. You know what I'm saying? I don't want my brother to rule over me. I love my brothers, but I don't want them to rule over me. Okay. Now, this doesn't mean in a like monarch sense. This doesn't mean that that somebody gets to be a king over you. Do you see what I'm saying? This is a different word. Again, Hebrew is just bleeding through the pages at us, okay. And if you go and you type in the word "ruler" into the uh, into the Bible, we look into the Old Testament and see what it's talking about, right? We get a bunch of other pair parallels, and the, well, I think probably the most important one being uh, Joseph, who was sold into Egypt. He was made a ruler over. Uh, obviously, over Egypt, right? He was made a ruler. That doesn't mean he was the king. The pharaoh was was the pharaoh. The pharaoh was the emperor. He was in charge, okay? But the word that it uses is the, the Hebrew word al. Okay? Above, over, upon, against. That's what that means. Those are the synonyms that we could use in modern English, okay? It doesn't mean that he is going to be royalty over his brother, or his brothers, it means that he was going to be above, over, upon or against, okay? Different different meaning than, than a monarch ruling over somebody, okay? Um and after the angel had spoken unto us he departed. And after the angel had departed, Laman and Lemuel again began to murmur, saying, Then notice they, they wait until the angel leaves, and then they continue murmuring. That's how deeply Satan had planted these murmuring seeds in their hearts. They literally saw an angel who showed up and said, you guys are being idiots. And because you're being idiots and not listening, this guy is going to be made to be over you. Or upon you. Okay? Probably in a priestly sense, is my guess. He would be a high priest. And if you know anything about... Uh, the Israelites. If you know anything about that, okay, they that would have probably made them upset. I imagine that would have made them upset. Uh, okay, so they. How is it possible that the Lord would deliver Laban into our hands? Okay, now here's a clue. This is kind of cool. Little throwaway clue here. Again, Hebrews bleeding forth through the pages. How is it possible that the Lord will deliver Laban into our hands? Behold, he is a mighty man, and he can command fifty, yea, even he can slay fifty. Then why not us? Okay If we go to Second Kings chapter one, verses nine through fifteen, you'll read about the story of Elijah and king Ahaziah okay. Uh, then the King sent to him a captain of fifty with his fifty men. He went up to Elijah, who was sitting on the top of a hill and said to him, "Man of God, the king says, "Come down, okay Elijah answered the captain, "If I am a man of God, may fire come down from heaven and consume you and your fifty men." Okay I think this is the n i v version, but you get the understanding here of we can see that this is literally a a military uh position. They call him a captain of 50. That's what it was called, a captain of 50, or they simply called it a 50, okay? Um, the Romans adopted this same type of thing where they had a centurion. A centurion was a military commander or officer over 100 people. The the, the key word cent, centa, okay, cent, century, centurion. A hundred years is a century, right? So centurion was a commander over a hundred men. So we see Laban was at least it says we would we would have to assume that he is at least a captain of fifty because if he can command fifty and he could slay fifty, that's just a throwaway little thing here. This was a legit thing, okay again, holy cow, Joseph Smith got some incredibly intricate things right, and they all run together, okay. it's interesting because again as we end this chapter here we're getting a message every single chapter in the book of mormon every verse every verse was chosen painstakingly to be able to provide us these the gentiles of the last days the Jews of the last days, the seed of Lehi of the last days it was it was given to us to prepare us for what is supposed to come, okay when you look at the history of the world and you see the Book of Mormon, when you see at what time it's coming forth it like if you' were looking at a timeline, it would look like it appeared you know if you, if you zoom out it's going to look like it's going to appear right before the coming of Christ. That's a clue, brothers and sisters, that there's a reason behind that. Okay? The things that it gives us here is going to put emphasis and focus on very specific things. Following the prophet, the importance of Scripture, the importance of understanding Scripture, okay? the interpretation of prophecies of Scripture, all this stuff. It's really cool because the Book of Mormon will also put emphasis on certain prophecies uh, even going to great lengths to encourage us to look at the words of Isaiah okay I'm excited to dive into that because I've never I don't feel like I've ever had a real great understanding of Isaiah but as I have done this, I'm getting way more out of my scripture study, especially the Book of Mormon stuff. So much so that I I wanted to record it. I wanted to record this. Because it's just incredible what regular people like us can do. When we put our shoulder to the will. When we approach God with effort in mind. And just ask that he will bless us with knowledge. As to what he wants us to do. He want, He's given us a commandment to look at this stuff. We've been commanded... To read the words of Isaiah. Understanding the doctrine put forth in First Nephi chapter three, what Nephi has so eloquently taught us, is Isaiah not able to be understood by us in the year 2023? Okay, think about that. Think about that. It's not impossible. Brothers and sisters, I have a testimony of the book of Mormon. ...about the Bible... ...it's incredible... ...I have such a great love in my heart... ...towards... ...the understanding... ...that that I have been able to... ...grow in my heart... ...using the Bible and the Book of Mormon together... ...they truly... ...have become one in my hands... ...I have a love for the Old Testament... ...especially... ...as I... ...seek to understand the words the Hebrew background behind these ancient brethren of ours who have spoken to us from the dust, as it were. And I hope that we are putting special emphasis and making time to understand the writings of these beloved prophets, these beloved followers of Jehovah who, who simply want us to be able to make it. I love you guys. I know the church is true. I'm grateful for the prophet. I'm grateful for everything that we have and enjoy and for the amount of knowledge that lies at our fingertips in order to understand this stuff. And I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.